Last week we looked at the Father's love. I want to pick up on that topic again. Um, when it comes to love, I think it's the one concept about God the world understands or thinks they understand, right? Uh, because in another sense, it's really the concept that they don't understand at all. They have a concept of love, um, but they don't have a concept of true biblical love. Uh, have you ever given it much thought? Hopefully. Um, so one of my questions is, um, whom does God love? Whom does God love? Because the Bible says God loves the world, right? But who's the world? That's the question, right? I mean, is it the actual physical world? Because usually when we talk about the world, we mean the actual physical world. When the Bible talks about the world, it doesn't always have that in mind. So is it all the, all the people living in the world? Is it certain people living in the world? Who is the world? Uh, before I answer that question, though, um, I want to pause, because um, if that's our starting point, I think actually we've jumped too far ahead. And so we actually need to back up if we want to take a full look at where God displays his love and to whom God displays his love. We need to look at the full teaching of the scriptures. That's a good thing to do, right? So in looking at the biblical concept of love, um, I want to show you a key part today of what God's love entails. The first way God ever displayed his love was not in sending his son to die for us. It was not in making a covenant with Israel. It was not in creating Adam and Eve. It was not in creating the world. Uh, the first way God ever displayed his love was him loving the son. God the Father loves the son. That's where his love is first seen. The father's love begins with his love for his son. We're going to look at a number of verses in John. So turn to John 3, because that's where we're going to begin. All right, we're going to look at the very last verse in John 3. It says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's how it wraps up. That's the one we've heard quite a bit, but I want to go to the verse right before it now. And it says this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Okay, so that is the word um, love there that comes from the Greek agape. And um, some people describe it as a godlike love. That's partially accurate. Uh, we're going to see in a second why it's partially accurate. So he uh, loves the Son, and what does he do? He gives all things into his hand. Look at John chapter 5. It says in verse 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father 
who sent him. Here, that word for love is actually the Greek word uh, phileo. So it's actually not agape. And that's why sometimes when people talk about God's love um, and use the word agape, um, there's actually different words translated as love in the New Testament, but it's not always agape when it talks about God's love. The important thing to remember is a lot of time when we are trying to understand sentences or even paragraphs or even chapters or even books, um, oftentimes who is talking is the one that gives emphasis to whatever words are used to describe what's going on. So the fact that God alone is the subject, it almost really doesn't matter what Greek word they use for love because God's the one that's doing it. And by that very fact, it's going to be a pure love, a holy love, a righteous love, a just love, a kind love, a merciful love. Does that make sense? Okay. So you actually, you actually see that a few times throughout John's gospel, actually. He'll actually use that word phileo, not just this time, but in other times, um, in describing God's love. So it's important that it's the subject, really, that gives emphasis to it. If, if to take a, the opposite example, if, if some guy is committing adultery and he walks up to his, his wife and says, I love you, well, again, I mean, it's the same word, love, but we'd probably question it. Why? Well, because of the subject and the character of the person who is saying it. Um, so the father loves the son. We see here how he displays it to his son. Um, in the first passage, it says he shows him all that he's doing, and he gives all judgment to the son. That's pretty serious. He gives all judgment to the son. And why is he doing this? Look at verse 23. That all may honor the son. That's pretty impressive, right? That all may honor. He wants every single person to honor the son. That he loves the son, and he and he shows him things with one of the purposes being that all may honor the son. But he goes on and says, "Just as they honor the father." That's, I mean, that's the highest honor possible, right? It's a pretty good verse, actually. If you wanted to talk about the Trinity, um, honor the son just as you honor the father. Um, if, if Jesus is not God, to honor him in the same fashion as you honor the Father would be idolatry. It'd be heresy. So in John 3, he displays it by giving all things to the Son. Here he shows it by giving judgment to the Son and wanting people to give honor to the Son. Look at John chapter 10. And this is Jesus speaking. He's in, uh, I'm going to start in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So here, Jesus himself is, is actually acknowledging that the Father loves him. He's giving voice to it. And he has this charge 
that the Father has given him, right? To lay down his life. And in obedience to the Father, the Son does that. Uh, he has authority. Where is that authority granted from? The Father. Authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up. Um, oftentimes, in the New Testament, when it talks about Jesus rising from the dead, it actually talks about the Father is the one who did that for Jesus. But here, we see Jesus himself had that authority. Elsewhere in John, it's the same thing. Jesus, you'll see, is ascribed as to the one who raises himself. So, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Two more verses. John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known them, known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So here we learn uh, this love didn't begin when Jesus was incarnate, when Jesus took on flesh. It is a love that was there eternally, before the foundation of the world. Um, this love is also seen uh, clearly in a couple other places. Look at Matthew chapter 3. This is the baptism of Jesus, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the, wa the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here, the Father explicitly affirms his son publicly. And not only that, the, the spirit joins in, right? Descends on Jesus like a dove. But here, at Jesus' baptism, God makes it clear that he loves his son. Not just a private thing, but something that he wants the public to see. That God loves his son. This is my beloved son, and he is pleased with his son. Look at Mark chapter 9. This is the transfiguration. In verse 2 it says, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents for you, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
So here, again, in front of three disciples, God blesses his son. He emphasizes that he is pleased with him. Why is this important? Because God wants us to know that he's pleased with his son and he loves him. That the son was in complete obedience to the father's will the entire time he was here. Um, Jesus here is transfigured. Uh, What does that mean? The disciples get a glimpse of Jesus in his full glory. That glory was not going to fully occur until after the resurrection. And it did. But here, before that, they get this glimpse of it. The glimpse of really Jesus was with really, I'd say, deity unveiled. Right? Philippians talks about that. But here, they see it, his deity unveiled. That's why people are sometimes like, you know, and when Jesus was walking around in Jerusalem back then in the first century, like, you know, was there anything special about him? Like, did they see him and like, whoa, what's up with him? No, I mean, the, the deity was veiled. I mean, it was veiled. So he looked like a Jewish man at the time. But here, that deity is unveiled. God displays it for the disciples and Elijah and Moses to see. Look at 2 Peter, last verse, starting in chapter 1, verse uh, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. See, here Peter is referencing the transfiguration. And and he's making a point to his, his readers here, Hey, what, we were eyewitnesses to what was going on, okay? This isn't second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand information. This is first-hand information. We were the witnesses there. We were there with him on the mountain when God unveiled the glory. And notice how he describes it. He says Jesus received the honor and the glory from God the Father. Again, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The Father loves the Son, and he glorifies the Son. He gives him honor. He wants to share the same honor that he has, and he wants others to honor him as well. That's an amazing love. This makes Christianity unique from all other, even monotheistic religions, because the Trinity, think about this for a second, the Trinity was in perfect fellowship from all eternity. Before the beginning of time, there was one God in three persons. So the Trinity was perfect in fellowship, in love, perfect in fellowship, in communication, perfect in fellowship with community. Because the Father has the Son and the Spirit. The Son has the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit has the Father and the Son. What does this say about our relationship 
to God. Well, a few things. One, God didn't create us because he was lonely. And really, the doctrine of, of the Trinity actually best answers this. I mean, that's the explanation. If there's three persons in the one God, there's no loneliness, right? Uh, he didn't create us to complete himself. He was already complete. He didn't create us because he needed us. Um, those three things right there. Didn't create us because he was lonely. Didn't create us to complete himself. Didn't create us because he needed us. If um, we can understand and believe this, much, 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 much bad theology can be avoided. If we believe that. If we understand that. There's a whole bunch of bad theology we can toss aside. Why didn't he need us? Well, he had himself. Why wasn't he lonely? He had himself. And, and, and we haven't even really talked about the son's love for the father. We, we might at some point, but not today. Um, but their love was a unique, special love that they had for one another. Think about that. The three persons in this perfect fellowship loving one another. Now, if we take that to the sacrifice of Jesus and we think about that for, for a second, the fact that God loves the son immensely puts him up on the same level as him, displays to us how great the sacrifice that the Father made in sending the Son. Think about that. For the Father to send his Son for us, knowing the outcome, knowing what men would do to him, knowing that many would reject him, I mean, that alone is a sacrifice. Apart from the actual sacrifice of Jesus, so if he loves the Son so greatly, then what does that say about God's love for us? It's a great love to send his Son to die for us. The Son that he loves, the Son that he wants honored, the Son that he wants glorified, that is a great love that he has for us. We need to reciprocate God's love. In other words, uh, he loves us and Therefore, we should love him. Uh, the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. How you guys doing with that? All right, how you doing? Anyone fulfilling that perfectly and completely? If you raise your hand, I'm stepping away, okay? <laughs> all right, that's hard, right? But that's, that's like... The pinnacle, that's the one Jesus said, like, that's the top. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Go for it 100%. His love should encourage us to love. We love, First John says, because he first loved us. And the Father's love for the Son, it's an infinite love that takes delight in his Son. The Father delights in the Son. And it's a love that acts. It's a love that's on display for the world to see. And it is a love that the Son himself clearly sees. And we see it clearly displayed, too, all throughout Scripture. God is our Father, too. He loves us with a never-ending love. I like how it says in one of the minor prophets, you know, he rejoices over us with singing. 
that is a beautiful picture of how God thinks of us. So take delight in your Heavenly Father's love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you loved the Son. From before time began, you were there in perfect fellowship with your Son. Lord, forgive us for failing to realize this. Forgive us for failing to see the beauty of this. It is a beautiful thing. And I pray, God, you'd open our eyes to see in the scriptures the truths that lay therein, that we would apply them to our minds, we'd apply them to our hearts, God. We want to be people who love you back. We want to be people who love you with everything. We want to be people who seek you with every ounce that we got, God. Lord, forgive us for falling short. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for not loving you rightly. Lord, we thank you that it's on display for the world to see your love for your son, your love for us. Lord, it is such a pure love, such a beautiful love. Help us to love like that, God, with that pure love, that unadulterated love, Lord, that is precious, a selfless love, God, a sacrificial love. Continue, God, to give us a taste of that love in our daily lives from you. Continue to let us see that love displayed from you, God. Help us to believe it, Lord, to truly believe it. Not just assent to it, God, but truly believe it and then act on it, God. I pray for the older adults in this room, God, that that would be true of us. I pray for our children, Lord, that they would clearly see your love. They would see it on display in you loving your own son and you sending him for us. It wouldn't just be something they intellectually assent to. They know the Bible is true, God. I want more for that, for the people of liberty. I want more than intellectual assent, God. I want a conviction of heart, God, on this matter. So I pray that you would do that in each of our hearts, in each of our lives, Lord, Impress upon us your love. It changes us, God, because you change us. Give us each a gift of saving faith, Lord, in you. For your glory. Amen.